Hi, welcome to a train rush. The celery sticks and plain quiche of your Christmas party buffet. Brought to you by your hosts, Dave Moss and Craig Taylor. So Dave, I'm going to say it now, Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas to you, my friend. Looking forward to uh, the break? Yes, it's an ideal opportunity to play some 18xx games. As if we haven't been doing that already. Yeah, what have we played recently? I was going to say, a whole heap of this episode's uh, title. for Obvious uh, reasons. <laughs> obvious reasons, but I mean, a whole heap of it. I mean, I don't think I've played any given title more intensely over a course of a three-month period than this one. In terms, in terms of utility value, we've hit this one a lot. I'm pleased with the purchase. Yeah, and I'm pleased we've done that because I think hopefully it's going to help make a better episode by playing it lots and being able to talk about it well. Listener, you be the judge. Also, I've played a bit of Lilliput and I've played a little bit of... Da, 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 1857, which featured in a recent tweet. That was good fun to revisit that. Very different with different amount of experience under our belts. Maybe we'll revisit that for another episode at some point. I Should think. do. I think there might be some people asking for us to uh, address... Reevaluate our opinions. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'm not loath to do that. But those are other episodes, potentially. Let's move on, I guess, with this episode. So, Dave, for those who uh, listen to podcasts blind and don't look at the titles, what are we going to be talking about today? So, today's game is 1879. It was uh, designed by Eddie Robbins, originally published by Winston Games. I think it was in 2014 they published. And recently it's been picked up by All Aboard Games. So they've put it together. I think 2018 reprint is available from those good people now. It's set in the northwest of the USA, so Seattle and that area. Washington State. Yep, thank you for giving me some geography help there. The availability on the Winsome Edition was very limited. I think, you know, there was a very strong secondary market supporting it. Now that All Aboard have got a copy, it's really good because it should be widely available. Available to you at roughly $88. Two fat ladies, as we'd say in the bingo world. Indeed. I think the only thing to note is, as with most of the Winsome 18xx games, they are based on 1830. Uh, they do rely, or, or certainly the Winsome versions rely on you having a copy of 1830 to play with. With the All Aboard version, you need to provide the cash and you need to have access to or a copy of the base rules of 1830. They give you the rules differences, the rules variances, but they don't actually give you sort of the core metagame rules around that. We've discussed this before, haven't we, about the single sheet rules? On the yeah, board. it came up when we did a talk about it a couple of months ago, I think. Here's the thing, right, Dave? The rules are available online, so if people have access to the podcast and they're listening to us, they, by definition, have access to the 1830 rules. Yes. We're set. And let's be honest, the paper money is only fit for giving to your kids to draw on, so they're, everybody's using poker chips. Indeed. So it's all cool. Non-issues. Non-issues. I'm happy to save a few bucks to not have paper money. Indeed. So let's talk a little bit about you know what makes this game different. What are some of the key things about it? Craig? Sure. Sure. I won't go into summary level. I'll say now, but the things I'm saying are, for me, some of the key characteristics. It's the absence of things, right? So specifically, we don't have privates. There's one initial auction. It's a Euro-E-style auction, go around the table, bidding for the black company, whose name escapes me right now. That is awful. We do podcast prep. Yes, I think we'll refer to the companies by colour in this rather than their names. We've been playing it so much now that everything's devolved down into colour as opposed to names. It's the company that has the most stations. It starts in the northeast. When you win that share, the President's Certificate, whatever you win it for, there's no coupling between what you win it for and what you set the par price to be. So, depending on the player count, you can either get it at value shares, where you get a discount on that President's Certificate and you buy them at high prices, or you can, in a higher player count game, you're forced to set it at a lower par price so you can actually capitalise, but you have the guarantee of going first. And I think, you know, that's a really interesting thing, as you say, because... 
it's notionally the first company to form. Again, everything needs 60% to float. So, no uh, 1830 stuff. Yeah, yeah. but it's going to be the first one that appears on the stock chart. And assuming it's priced relatively to the amount of income that players have got, then it could be the first to operate. It definitely looks a very powerful company. As you say, it has a lot of stations, has an interesting place in the board geography. That's probably one of its least good aspects. We'll talk about it later on. But I think what you're paying for there notionally is the option on going first and the sheer volume of station markers. Yeah, but I remember the first time we sat down and played it and looked at it and just did some initial evaluations, we headed into that auction. You know, you look at it and you go, oh, well, well Black has the most obvious route to get through to the highest value city at the end of the game. Mm. Seattle, or, or New York of the North, as it should be known, I think. Don't, we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, that's in my wrap-up notes on that, yeah. The New York time. New York of the <laughs> Northwest, sorry, yes. Indeed. Indeed. So, there's no privates beyond that. There's no Chrome it's just your bidding on a president certificate on we jolly well trot and as you can imagine the implication of that is there are no there's no private buying so turning uh, company capital straight into player capital there's no worrying about paying out the privates at the start of the ors there's no zany stroke fun stroke interesting privates stroke, that do stuff yeah exactly no distracting abilities yeah, yeah. it's just tile laying and stocks let's talk to one of the bits of chrome that is in this is a key piece of chrome it's the home stations yes now, by and large, the home stations are off-board. There's one that's on board. It's green, green. But it works in the same way. Home stations don't have an inherent value. If you run a train through your home station, or it can't, you use your home station as a stop. From, because uh, uh, I think only the green is the one that could run through it. All of the others must yeah, sure. terminus. Yeah, sure. sure, well, that's why I didn't say from through is fine. Yeah. The ones that are terminuses are inherently terminuses. If you, you count your home stations as a stop for a given train... Look at the highest value of a stop on its route and add that. Make that the value of your home station. Effectively, although it's not quite the correct way of putting it, it doubles the value. Of the highest city in the route, yeah. Yeah, totally. Green is slightly different because green is on the board and it's on a double O spot. Green on a double O spot, this is, this is bonkers, and actually I wish there was a way of marking it up that made it clearer for new players. Although its home station may be valued at 40 the green company that starts there counts it as zero. It uses the same home station rules as the other companies. It's got the advantage that it can run through it, but it's got the disadvantage in that, whereas ever, every other company will count that double O tile as 40, it will always count it as X, X being highest other station value on its route. There's some differentiation. We talk about that black company. The black company only has one link into its terminus stroke home station. Black company is situated in the northeast of the map. There's other companies in that northeast section that have term. Yeah, so the blue the blue has two uh, and the red has three, I think. So That's as it goes down that sort of top line there, they get more access, but it becomes more complicated, I think, particularly with things like the board geography to make them work in well, some ways. Well, it, it's, it's, it's a timing thing. For me, it's less about the geography. It's more, it is strictly about the timing. Because black forms first and it only has one link, it's heavily incentivized to lay rail in a manner that stops blue and red from getting more than one link. Next to that terminus cluster in the, in the northeast, there is a city that scales. In the yellow phase, it's 20, green phase, it's 30, brown phase, it's 40. And it's got two station marker spots on it. Long story short, the companies are set up to hit that and just scale in value with very little effort. In principle, when you just look at that part of it, forget the station token count, blue is superior to black. Okay, because blue can hit that city twice very easily. Here's the thing if black lets it. 
Yes, assuming Black operates first in turn order, Black should be playing very defensively, I think. Well, well Black, Black's the bully, right? It, when I've seen Black being used very well, Black spends its station markers blocking other companies getting into value value areas. It spends its tile lays where it doesn't destroy its own value progression. It spends spare tile lays limiting the value options on red and blue. Black is set up to be the bully, whatever way you... Yeah, absolutely. It. it comes into the game with all these stations, uh, you know, however much cash, obviously, is TBD as such, but ultimately, yes, it should be going along, putting tokens in, aggressing against the other companies that are in and around it, and, and I think, as you say, that's that's why it's in the auction, that's why it's got so many stations, so it's a very interesting one. However, I don't want to discount your point on geography, Dave, so why don't you talk to me about geography? So I think, you know, there's a couple of interesting things going on in this one. There's two pretty challenging mountain ranges, I think, going through the, the board. You know, there's one that runs down the sort of eastern side of it, and just below all of those companies that start. And again, uh, the, the bottom, uh, I guess the south southeastern bottom of the board, uh, the yellow company starts up. So trying to get yellow to merge with, with the, the red, black, uh, blue corner of the board can be tricky with the mountains in the way. Yeah, on the flip side, no one medals with yellow. No, I think I think yellow has some really good starting moves that can get it a very good early game capital. Yep, there's no synergies. If you work well and collaborate with a red-blue alliance or a red-black alliance, you can generate buku value real quick. Yeah, if one player gets both of those companies, then they're in a really strong position. Whereas yellow feels like it has a set progression. Yellow, no one's going to meddle with it. It takes a while to touch it. You're not going to station out its opportunities. But there's a scene in what he's Yellow, doing. you've got a number of choices. Are you, are you going west, trying to interfere with the green and orange down in the sort of southeast corner of the board? Or are you trying to go northwest, trying for that Seattle move again? Yeah. Some choices, but as you say, initially, yellow can spring up with some really good early game value. I think, again, kind of touching on that point, if you look down in the sort of, you know, the southeast side of the board, you've got orange, which springs up in a very similar way to well, yellow. Southwest, southwest. Sorry, yeah, southwest. Heading west. Like the pet shop boys, we're going west. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, no, uh, and, and the orange company, again, starts in a very similar position to, to yellow. It works very similar fashion. can get a couple of very, very good early quick routes. Green, uh, we talked about earlier some of its challenges. I think, you know, if you look at the board and its geography, green and orange are probably the closest hex-wise to, to Seattle. Uh, being the, the richest city in the game. And being explicit, Dave, yeah. they're really close to each other as well. Yes. They're, they're set up to compete with each other, and I'll let you go on to that. Yeah, no, no. All I was going to say is if you look at it and you think instantly, I'm going to start one of those, I'm going to get into New York, I'm going to try and derive some value out of that pretty quickly. No, not New York, Dave. Sorry. You've fallen into AAG's trap. It's Seattle. Print SEA on oh. the tile. Don't print NY on the tile just because that's the number. I've bought a game with Seattle in it. Please, for love of God. Anyway, rant over. <laughs> no, no, you're right to correct me there. I think that was something we... we, we no, no, you're, you are technically correct. Uh, well right. We're, we're both up. right, I think, is the way we'll look at that. But, you know, yeah, they're set up to look as though you're going to head up to that Seattle slash New York uh, option. But actually, the tiles just aren't going to let you do that until you get to brown phase, really. You know, before that, both green and, um, uh, and orange are fighting around in their own little spaces, as you say, conflicting with each other. Um, rather than actually trying to push on and accelerate that build through to, to the most richest point on the board. Well, there's an interesting thing where green and orange are kind of DMZ'd by a pair of double O tiles. The double O tile that, that green is on and the double O tile in between them. And here's the weird thing with that. You have this situation where the double O's evolve 
a into restrictive one um, station marker cities. So you know, if one of them blocks blocks it out, the other one's not getting through. And b the directionality on those is key. Where I put the entrances matters because that dictates where the loose bends are going to go or the straight through options. If I take a straight through option, it's not available for you. That if it's two different players that have orange and green, invariably that tends to get quite messy unless they agree to collaborate. And arguably there's incentives for them to do so, but if people are short-sighted, which more often than not they can be, then I've seen a lot of games where it all swings around a little bit east and you kind of join the Blacks' efforts to get to Seattle. So you'd think naturally you'd work through that straight north, but that double-O challenge there just can create a royal mess. Yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult. You've really got to intentionally work together in that space. If you don't, as you say... It takes one betrayal and boom, it's not yeah, happening. Yeah, and, and, and green is then green is then going, well, I'm going to curve around the next mountain range and, and as you say, go up and intersect with the black corner yeah. Uh, yeah. and their efforts to get across to the New York of the Northwest. Indeed. Um, so t- tile mix is an interesting subject, actually. So as you say, you've talked about some of the double O tiles. It is obviously a subset of the 1830 tiles. I don't think it's everything that's in there. There's no yellow curved cities. Everything is straight. Some of the upgrade options then become quite limited, particularly at the bottom of the board. So there's some stuff that doesn't go beyond green. Yeah, sure, because of the boundaries. And again, if you are building that green-orange, you know, straight north route from the south, the southeastern corner, you have to actually accommodate in a non-natural fashion because otherwise you won't be able to put a city tile in. So you have to do a little bit of thought about tile lays. What's the other thing about the tiles? Actually, speaking to uh, New Seattle, it sounds like a post-apocalyptic movie, actually. There's only one way that tile can go in, right? Because the way they put the seacoast there, there's something you can learn there if you were to just sit down, open the box and go, okay, this is the only directions I'm coming in. And when it grows, this is where the loop rounds and hitting it twice can happen. That's fixed, basically, isn't it? Yes, and I think it's possible to create some interesting little sort of roundabouts and ways in and out of... Yeah, possible, sure, but how many games have we actually seen? Well, that's that's the interesting thing, and that's one of the things I think we, I was going to look at at the end of it, is, as you say, you, you look at Seattle at the start of the game and go, wow, that's where I want to be. Very rarely do you get there. It's the promise of Seattle. Yeah, it, it's it's a little golden carrot somewhere in the game for you. Yeah, yeah sure. It then turns into ephemeral orange mist. I think the tile set is... Weirdly, I think it's the interplay with the geography and the, the company position that makes it interesting, less so than anything in and of itself. The tiles themselves do nothing that you don't see elsewhere, i.e. 1830, for starters. Mm. But as you say, the fact that they're, they're a limited amount and the geography of the board coupled with the companies and the incentives mm. of the companies mean that they actually work really, really well in this instance. I think, I think the company placement is probably the interesting thing. Everything, apart from yellow, everything starts right on top of something else, and that's a key characteristic yes, for me. Yes, definitely. Let's talk to the other aspect that we always talk to, since it's in the title of the podcast, feel obliged to, even though they're really boring. So, Dave, trains. It's standard set of trains. Although actually, I think it is, it's the 1830 train mix with one less of each set. So, And a ha-ha, no trading option. Yes. One less rule for you. So if you're teaching this to your friends, there's no diesel trading. Sorry, yes, I was, I was trying to remember the rule you were talking about. But yes, straight purchase all the way through. Worrying, isn't it? We've been playing this one so much that we've forgotten that trading in the diesel is a default thing. Indeed, indeed. Ultimately, as I say, it's 1830 with less trains and less companies. We've got six companies, not eight. And, and yeah, the train mix is slightly decreased, which I think makes it quite aggressive, actually. You know, we've seen quite a lot of opening plays where, where you know, those two trains have burnt through pretty quickly. You're on, you're on the fours as soon as you can be and I think there's at least one game where the twos have not run at all I was going to say we've seen an option on twos not running at all if everybody colludes to make that a thing certainly I think it's one run at best you know, if everyone's playing optimally and pushing the game along it's one run at best 
it's a perfect example of where if a player gets too greedy and says, I'm going to run all these twos, you watch me get some money, everybody can go, nah. Yeah, we're just going to buy the other trains and hurt you. It's weird, right? You would think with fewer companies that it would be less aggressive because there's fewer options to capitalise and seed money into the game. Weirdly, it makes everything feel like it's balanced on a razor edge in that if your company goes wrong or if you end up... There's no backup option. In a five-player game, my options for getting capital into a company of some form to buy big trains feel very limited. Yeah, I've got that initial capital you get from selling the power price. But to be honest with you, I think most companies are powering at 67, aren't they? Particularly in a five-player game. Yeah, well, the point I'm making is, though, Dave, isn't so much about the way the capitalisation mechanism works. It's more about if there's no company left, which in a five-player game is a serious possibility, mm. six companies, five players, one of you's getting a second company to do some train juggling. How do the rest of you solve that challenge? Obviously, you get that little bit of trickle capital from shares that are in the bank. You withhold. Ugh. Yeah, withholding, not great in this, really, well, is I, it? I don't know. Situationally, it is. I'm not dogmatic on this, right? I think withholding is fine if it lets you snipe a train out of sequence. No, but I got burnt on that the other the other game. Not not the last one we played, but I think the couple before that, where I was withholding because I was pretty confident I was going to get to the train. And every time I was about to get there and had enough cash in the company, the train got sniped and it moved to the next level. And, and I ended up having to serial withhold about two or three rounds, which really hurt me. You know, the stock value was just atrocious. And I think, you know, in those instances, I'd have been better off running what I had and paying out. Yeah, I think you misread the board state in that game. Yes, it wasn't my finest hour. We've had good games. I've had had bad games of this where I've gone bankrupt and I shouldn't have done, and it's entirely self-inflicted. I've had games of this where I honestly felt I was caught on the hop. And do you know what? It was great play from other players to catch me out. I think on that one, with respect, Dave... I messed up is the polite way you're saying. Is it really, yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm it, entirely it, fine and, with that. And, and this is the thing. This is what I like about this one. I guess we're getting to the soft, fuzzy bits. Because it's short enough, and one of the characteristics of this one is whether it runs to bank closure or whether it runs to bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is typically quicker, obviously. But whichever way it runs, you're going to fit this in a game evening. Yeah. That's what I like about it. And which means, that, like we said at the start of the podcast, you can play this one a lot thereby playing it a lot if you make a mistake you can unpack a three hour game and go that's the bad decisions i made and you learn from the mistake and you can rack it up and you can go again next week or the same week if you want whereas with a long one like 1822 and you and i both love it the relationship between the mistake i made at hour one and a half and the impact of decisions say hour six and then by the time i've gone home do i even remember what happened at hour one and a half am i learning that lesson yeah, no, I, th- I think you're absolutely right there. I think, you know, the, the, the time of play means, and we've had occasions where I think we played it twice in an evening because we had a bankruptcy and then we went, okay, right, we, as you say, we've all learned from that. Let's let's rack it up, let's go again. Um, bankruptcy is a really key thing, actually, you know, that you, as you said earlier, you're constantly on that razor's edge. How are we keeping these companies afloat? How are we giving them trains, keeping them going? How am I inflicting that pain onto my fellow players? As we played more and more of it, I think we've seen uh, some really, really good play emerge as we go through it. You know, everyone's got more comfortable in the title, the space that you were playing in. And the last game we had the other day was brilliantly brutal. Unfortunately for the one new player who hadn't played any 1886 before, they were a bit of a passenger uh, caught in a crossfire of our fight. But everyone else is having a great game. We'll go back to that in a second about teaching and learning game position and stuff like that. What I will say about the repeated play we've had for this, it reminds me of something my good friend Morton says. Morton, you've been name-checked. So if you don't listen to the podcast after this, I will be destroyed. He believes that you don't need to own any more than four 18xx games. Now, I don't quite 
agree with him on that. But he says, you don't need to own any more than four because if you play the same four repeatedly and they're good ones, then you will see more and more each time you play. 18xx games are inherently deep. So why wouldn't you invest your time getting better and better and better at fewer titles rather than trying to own a broad library? I'm not dogmatic. I think there's room for all types of people in this world. And I've learned things from playing games with different mechanisms that make me think about other titles. I think there's a certain degree of cross-pollination of learning there. But having hit this one repeatedly, because the time box allows you to do so, has taught me the value of iteration and repeated play of a given title. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and you know, I, I'm as guilty as probably the next train game owner in that I've got lots of late 18xx's on my shelves, lots that are unplayed. But yeah, with this one, that point rings true is that the last time we played it, everyone bar one player had multiple plays we were all really gunning for each other. We knew the, the levers that we had available to us in the game, the few of them that there are there. And with this, we were all coming tooled for that fight and ready to go. There were some really sublime plays in that game. No, I don't think anybody ended the game with a company they started with bar one person. The person who took the investor position ended up with two companies. Two gifts of companies that were ailing rapidly. Indeed. The person who should have lost from bankruptcy ended up winning... Through owning the best companies in the end, purely because you know the, the the two of us that were in a strong and winning position, and I was one of those players, indulged in a bit of a share dropping contest. Well, well, if you hadn't have done it, you did it. You did a share dropping contest to each other. But the nice thing there was, I was okay. Look, full disclosure, I was a person who eventually won it. I should have lost, but I liquidated one of my companies, moving it onto someone else, and it meant the only bullets I had was that capital. So I was, whether you guys did it to each other or whether I did it, I was going to go through a share purchase and sales yeah, we, we did it to each other, meaning that your capital, as you say, was sat untouched. Well, no, no, no. My capital was bullets. That was the thing. My capital was bullets in the gun, so I could buy your shares with the only intent of selling them down. I think the way you guys protect each other in that game is you buy Jimmy's excess shares, sit on them. Jimmy buys your excess shares, sits on them, and then I can't buy through and damage your portfolios as much. But in that instance, I think I'm probably winning because I had the better value company at that point. So so there's no incentive for him to do that. He was was my mind to sell, and so my response mechanism was to return the favour. Of course, and that's the interesting thing about the incentives thing. This is a beautiful thing about 18xx, is trying to map out the incentives and who does what and why you might do it. I'm trying to work out a situation where you guys don't end up burning in the long shit Viking funeral style mm, but by doing that ultimately we as you say we gifted the the better shares to, to other players ultimately so it was yeah. interesting really really interesting to say everyone came everyone played you know really really optimally i think is the phrase i'll use oh possibly i wouldn't say optimal well i won't say optimally because I'm, I'm sure there's better players out there than us but what i would say is we executed what we were trying to do well whether it was the right thing to do, I don't know. But it was interesting as well. That was the point. There's some sublime, interesting plays that you wouldn't see if you just keep kicking the tyres on a new one. True, true, very true. So does that does that lead us nicely into kind of wrapping up a little bit? Do you want to share some some thoughts? Yeah, sure. I'll lead with this, I guess, as a, with the opinion piece. I, I wonder why. It's not because I'm opinionated. Much. <coughs> um, much. So I like this in the sense that sometimes less is more. And this one is very, very streamlined. I remember when we were teaching this to Ian, I was shocked how quickly we taught it. Ian's a guy we were teaching who's never played an 18xx game before, happened to kind of meander into our game. And I was surprised. It's very pure. You lose the privates. You haven't got to teach the privates aspects and anything to do with the privates. You can then focus on the stock market and the track lane and value generation and the stationing. And 
as such, without the distracting bits, it really is a great development title. It lets you develop those skills and it lets you map. And because it's simpler, it's a bit like chess in the sense that I can now map out your incentives because they're more immediate, for want of a better term. Okay, blue needs to do this to generate value. There's no side trick. You're not going to do a curve shot. Yeah, no, no, nobody's dropping anything to surprise you. It's mm. I can see you're going to do this. Here's how I react, defend, or attack as a result of that. For me, the short runtime is a positive attribute. It doesn't outstay its welcome, except perhaps under circumstances where... I'll, I'll, I'll provide a caveat here. If it doesn't end in bankruptcy and it ends up somehow being an engineering type style game because of players colluding to not buy through the trains too quick and everybody survives a train rush, I think it benefits from calculation aids at the end. A lot of the companies are going to be pegged and you just pay them out and, okay, they, they haven't got access to anything else. Or if you're just sitting there tweaking, 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 you're missing the fun of this. Or point. at that point you are ultimately, how does everybody end up in Seattle? If, you know, as you say, if the game goes to the end of it, then the natural inclination is to is to actually get there and try and get that value out of it to try and sure. push that bank break as quick as you can. But but I think realistically, four companies can get there by that point of the game. Well, disclosure, I like spreadsheeting for stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I would I would always expect that when there's a tipping point for this one, you should say you can play it cash handling with 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 poker chips pretty quickly through probably 80, 90% of the game. But then if you are in that end and it's very clear you're past the someone's going bankrupt phase. Exactly. Then yeah, why wouldn't you break out a spreadsheet and try and run and, and support it with that? I'm a massive fan of spreadsheets for that circumstance. I'm also just going to name check something here. Actually, it's time for a commercial break. I'm really enjoying the rails on board payout chart. Yeah, the payout rev tracker with the actual marks on it. With the marks on it and the red number. For yeah, 50%. it gives, gives you a breakdown of, of uh, up to I think eighty or ninety percent even of a of a company's payout, and it allows you to just do some. It takes some of that mathematical calculation away. I don't mind the calculation, right? I don't like the make work. Okay, so if I'm already struggling with strategy and trying to work out how I'm trying to do the big math, how do I get my value? What's the return? What shares should I be selling? I don't want to be calculating payouts. I'm not in it for that. Not when my brain's already at limit. What I would say is, Marcin, you need to explain to us what are those strange coloured bands that are sweeping diagonally, the green, yellow, and, diagonal and, bands and on the chart. I think it's just thematic artwork, personally. If the man's not listening to the podcast then I'll have to buy my wooden circles elsewhere, Marcin. No, I'm lying. It's a bluff. It's a bluff. Please keep sending me wooden circles. But I think that Rails on Board uh, revenue track chart is fantastic. I mean, since I've got mine, since, since you kindly picked mine up for me on your order, it's sat in my poker chip case. I wouldn't travel without it now because it's really makes some of, the, some of that complexity around the game. Make work. Yeah, yeah. It just makes it easier for everybody. So, um, so yeah, uh, definitely a big shout out and definitely look those up on the Rails on Board site and, and get them if you can. Go back to the summary. Although I say there's less here, what's there? What's It's like, kind of like a big ugly rock that someone's made an interesting sculpture out of. What's left is quite compelling. You've got companies that have interesting starting positions, creative in, interesting incentives. Do we have a game where black and blue collaborate? Because we forgot to mention there's a choke point in the north. It's a grey single city that pays 20. It's a key route through to Seattle. And do they both agree not to station it? Does someone blink and someone stations it and therefore only one company gets to use that northern route through to Seattle, forcing the other company to spend a few hours making a bay, uh, bay pass? That's worrying. A Michael Bay pass? Or do we have a game where no one goes near it and you have a, like a, a little kind of willy-won't-he, I'm not going to place the tile there because you'll place the tile there and station it. 
there's some interesting incentives from where the companies start. And I think in some of our latter plays, we absolutely saw that. You know, who's going to blink first moment? You got close enough, the, and I wasn't running the companies in some of those games, but everyone got close, and then there's, well, if I put that tile in, then they will lay the station in their operating round, so I'm not going to help them. And, and as you say, you all just kind of looked at each other and went, well, we're just going to turtle around and mm. increase revenue in, in what we've got rather than continue to build new infrastructure. It's a positive tension, and I think there's a positive tension on the southeast of the board. Yellow's got this weird tension where it wants to race to touch the other stuff quickly and get the value that other people have built because it can't, with one tile layer turn, there's a ceiling on how much you can do by itself, but it wants to get there quickly enough that it's not stationed out of all these opportunities. If it gets to the southwest too slowly, it's going to be stationed out with double stations, green, orange. Gets to the north too slowly, then there'll be a smattering of red, blue, black blocking it out of things yeah and i think yellow can do some really good early game earns but then as you say it's, it's how does it move into phase two of its life yeah it's great for giving you shares early on okay let's talk to the thing we always talk to we're getting towards the end of this i guess is is it good as an intro game would i use it to teach i bought this with the intention of teaching using it, it as a teaching game an introductory eight in x indeed so i think it's fair to ask the question yeah well we ask it every time so dave what do you think? So I think because it is absolute bare bones, because there is nothing else there, it teaches the right behaviour. It certainly makes players aware of what they should do. Can you see that, obviously, if you're a brand new player on a first playthrough? Almost certainly not. I think ultimately, you know, you're going to have a challenge. It's still opaque, right? It's still 18xx. Here's the thing. We look at it and go, there's so little here. Or it's so obvious. It's so direct. We've played a lot of 18xx versus someone who's not played any. And that's the challenge, right? We go, go oh, it's simple, it's fundamental, it's it's clean, but it's still 18xx and therefore it's still opaque to someone who's only played Euro games. Does it teach you how to do the right things in terms of train rushing, track lays, uh, you know, managing companies, managing company finance and all that stuff? Yes, but you've got to know what you're doing first off. So so again, I don't think it necessarily teaches you how to do those well. I think the key phrase you hit on earlier was, was development. In our pre-show chat, we have this to make sure that we don't talk complete garbage. I said it wasn't a good teaching title for someone's first game. It's a great development title. It's a great development title, irrespective of how much 18xx you've played, I think. Well, that's not quite true. Probably clear clause of this world won't get a lot out of it. But when you're at my level or your level, Dave, it's being able to iterate on the same title over and over so quickly has value. For someone's first game, it's made me appreciate the value of something like 1846. In this first game, I am Mike Tyson to someone's junior boxing champion 13 years old and if i'm playing in a system where there's no handicapping or no buffer between me and them they're not allowed to wear the helmet that protects them from head blows they've not got the body thing on i'm literally going to ruin them and unless i just go into it saying i'm not going to play the game i'm going to sit on my hands and watch you duff me up there's no way they're going to do anything but get destroyed and also here's the thing they're not even going to realize why because they don't have enough time to play with a train set. And that's exactly what happened in our play the other night. You know, the, the brand new player to 18xx, was to say, was in effect a passenger in the game, whilst the rest of us were just taking chunks out of each other all the way through it. The fact that he said after two and a half hours, what happened, really says it all. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. just, you come out of it, he's been sensory deprived in a torture chamber, comes out, what happened, man? What year is it? You can't blame him. It's a product of sticking him into a very raw game, and it's not a train set game. That entire game we played... There was next to no track laid. It was all about the train purchasing and the stock market. That was where all the action happens. And those are the most obtuse, opaque, audio words, 
parts of 18xx and that's where the focus can be when you're playing this it doesn't feel like an engineering one at all and here's the thing i'm okay with that but i'm not necessarily thinking that someone who wants to play a train game and hasn't played one before they obviously think it's going to be about running trains and laying train track not about buying shares and making sure you don't end up with the wet blanket they throw on top of you and say get out from under that son well with 1846 i'm not okay i'm warming to it but if you would have asked me like six seven months ago i'd say to you, oh, i'm a bit meh on 1846 it's a bit soft right now i've played it with some sharks now and i can see there are some broken combos you can set up but that's by the by the thing with 1846 is even if you don't know what's going on you can play with the train set long enough and mock through the activities enough that you come out of it practiced at the procedure and at least with a feeling of understanding even if it's not true understanding you come away from it thinking you're getting somewhere yeah you get utilitarian value out of that play whereas i think the play that we had the other night taught him nothing taught no him no nothing. no i think he still doesn't understand what went on and that's no disrespect to ian you know ultimately it's like i, I wouldn't I think yeah first if that's my first game i'd have come away from that it would have put my head on a swivel like forex i sat back halfway through the game and just kind of had a bit of an internal smile to myself at all the things that were going on and the craziness that was there it was it was a beautiful thing to watch and be part of i'm not sure it was the same feeling for ian as the new player here's the other thing i don't think it makes it a good first player game as much as i appreciate not having to teach the rules about the privates all the weird and wonderful privates in something like 1846 or 1822, they're the kind of chrome that attracts a Euro player in. They, right. they add value and context to the experience. They help well, They help train you along the way, I think. You know, <sighs> the two, the Big Four and the Michigan South help start to teach you about some of the ways that, that, that minor companies can work in. Just warning, Dave, more puns like that and I am cancelling the podcast. I don't care. It's just train you along, cheapest creepers. Um, so um, good, I didn't even realise that one. Uh, so, um... No, I was going to say the other thing about the widgets and whatsits is that they stop it just feeling like a spreadsheet to a new player. Now, it's yeah. a spreadsheet yeah. you and I love, yeah. but to a new player, they, they gives them that kind of it, help, it helps make it resonate. It's not quite a goblin or a dragon, but it's pretty close. I think, I think just a couple of other points I'll kind of make on, on a closing. Sometimes, as, as we said, at, at certain player counts at three, maybe even at five, as you say, if the bankruptcy doesn't happen and, and the game goes on, I don't want to say it will feel a bit flabby, but certainly, as we said, you know, the end of the game is is a bit of a long tail in some ways. I think at three it felt inert, and at five it felt it like felt a procedural. Grenade. Everything felt procedural. Well, for five it felt like a grenade. If someone's going to go bankrupt, there's not enough here. It's too lean. If someone's going to do a bad thing to someone, and it's a fair complete. There's no drama here. There's no tension because we're all so poor. But we did have the five player that went all the way through and broke the bank. I mean, that, the only reason I remember that is it's the one I won. Yeah, we did. We did. And it, it felt at the end just like it was a bit... Yeah, but they all do when they go to the end. Three are drowning in opportunity. Five is a starvation of opportunity. Yeah. I think four is a really good number for it. Yes, absolutely. I think four is a really good sweet spot. As you say, kind of capping back on a few of those other points, I think because it's quick playing, because it's bare bones, that makes it a really good title. I think the other key thing is, you know, the price point. The all aboard reprint is a fantastic value. Even if it isn't everyone's first venture into 18xx, as I think as we talked about a few games before, you should consider as an opening gambit. At that price point, it's well worth becoming the second purchase you make and the one that you play repeatedly to hone those skills. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm just going to do the old soft stuff now. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And I don't feel, if I sold it now for, for a tenner, I don't feel like it owes me anything. And if you, know. you sold it now for a tenner, I will willingly buy it off you for that sure, price. Sure. You, you get my gist. It owes me nothing. It literally owes me nothing. It's it's given me hours and hours of joy. And 
can I say that about other 1830s on a different map? Possibly, if I gave them the time to breathe. I think if I was to play other 18, you know, the, the classic 1830 clones on another on map, maybe they all do this. Maybe it's inherent in the 1830 system. Yes, there's an element of that, absolutely. I think also some of those games are, are fundamentally different because of the way they're all set up. So, so you take 36 Junior in Belgium, you know, that does very little to change 1830, but it condenses the map mm. into a small thing. 1836 Junior does the old David Hecht thing of one train of each type, an OR, so it slows it down. Yeah. Yeah. Until later on, you don't have the opportunity to punish people through the trains. The thing I was going to directly compare it to, I think we should, because we only played it a couple of days ago, is 1857. Which, which is another winsome one, coincidentally yeah. by yeah. Eddie Robbins as well. Indeed. But I think that takes a different element and, and condenses it. But yeah, I think it's a very similar thing in some ways. Do, Do you prefer this to 1857? We've reviewed 1857. We have. Yeah, I think I probably do, actually. I think I think the, the, the difference is, obviously, 57 does have privates in and does does add some of that chrome back in. They're really interesting privates, and the way it does the auction simplified with the no waterfall auction thing, I enjoy that. Let's get to the issue I've got with 1857. That runs really, really super long if you don't bankrupt someone. However, I think in most instances, it's a fair complete that someone's getting bankrupted, if not bankrupted, multiple people getting ruined. And it's a question of who limps over the lime. Yeah. Lime? Over the lime? Wow. In my tequila. Who limps over the lime? I think, however, the starting position for the companies in this, if I'd say one thing is the champion, you know, this is the champion aspect, just the clusters of starting companies, the and, positions and for the companies. The relative strengths of them through things like numbers of stations. Yeah, I think yeah. The, the companies and links, are. Yeah. And it goes back to that point. I think we made that point in the 57 episode. The Winsome Games seem to drill down on element and really focus on that and hone that. 57 is definitely one of my favourites. It's one of my favourites at the moment too. And what I would say is that the repeated games we had of this definitely had cross-transferable skills into 57. I mean, separated birth, right? They're, they're, they're very close. But the point I'm making is... I think the skills we've learnt playing this title will eminently transfer into a whole branch Being of We play a lot better in some of the other times. And we've seen that in some of the other games we've played alongside this because we haven't played this in isolation. But but yeah, those skills are becoming much mm. more aware and, and impactful as we go forwards. So my recommendation, if you like the 1830 style games and you want something that will reliably fit into an evening, something that you can play, maybe not as someone's first game, but maybe their second, third game, and really develop them along, develop yourself along, why not try this? Definitely. Cool. Well, let's close out the episode then with a little bit of admin. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching for The Train Rush. You can get in touch with us on Twitter. At The Train Rush. You can get in touch with us on Instagram. Dave doesn't know this one. I know this one because the underscores burn me. The underscore train underscore rush. I hate you, Instagram. <laughs> I love you, really. And I can talk to you about our guild, because that's the one that you can never remember the number of. I may have got it wrong in a previous episode, I think, but it's 3342. So if you look us up on Board Game Geek, uh, we have a guild. We have some active discussions going on. Uh, uh, yeah, right. We'd like more active discussions. We blame you for this. <laughs> um, but if we come talk to us about this episode, we'll put a thread up when we get it out there, and, uh, and, and let's have a discussion about it. Let's hear what your thoughts are. And finally, you could be one of the people who justifies me paying for an email subscription for myself and Dave by emailing us either info at thetrainrush.com where you can ask us about poker chips, episodes we've played, how to get hold of 1848 Australia, uh, amongst other things. Or if you just want to talk to me because I'm so bloody charming, it's craig at thetrainrush.com. Or if you want to moan about my arrogance, then maybe you want to mail Dave. Dave at thetrainrush.com and I'll happily engage that discussion, I think. Lovely. Cheerio.